0: You are listening to Reach MD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Paul Rayburn. Welcome to a Reach MD special report, cardiology news from this year's American College of Cardiology annual meeting, ACC 2008. We're in Chicago at McCormick Place. Thousands of cardiologists have convened to listen to new research reports on thousands of studies in one of the largest medical meetings anywhere. We're coming to you direct from studios at the press room at the meeting where we're talking to some of the nation's leading researchers about findings that could change your medical practice. Join us in the coming weeks as we present a series of reports on findings from ACC 2008 of interest not only to cardiologists but to other health professionals as well. Our guest is Dr. James Udelson. Dr. Udelson, tell us where you're from and what you do when you're not here
1: at the cardiology meeting. Uh, Thanks, Paul. I'm the uh, acting chief of cardiology at Tufts Medical Center in Boston. Uh, We're talking about
0: a new study you're reporting that has to do with stress testing.
1: Tell us a little about the question you were trying to ask when you began this study. Well, physicians and cardiologists use stress testing and particularly often use it with imaging of the heart to detect coronary disease. Are there blockages of the coronary arteries? Yes, no. How extensive are the blockages? And how likely is it that the patient will benefit from catheterization and revascularization? So there's a lot of questions that cardiologists are looking toward stress testing to answer. So there, it's a popular test. There's somewhere along the lines of 7 million such stress tests with imaging. Of the heart done across the United States every year. Are there problems with the current test? What made you look for an alternative? Well, in the past, let's say in the 1980s for the most part, you could only do this test by stressing the heart with exercise, which required patients to exercise on a treadmill. And that, of course, meant that a lot of patients who are at risk of heart disease, the elderly patients who may not be able to walk on a treadmill, people with orthopedic problems, strokes, et cetera, couldn't really have this kind of, image of testing. In the late 80s, early 90s came the onset of what's called pharmacologic stress, which is using a drug, one drug was called persantine, and the most commonly used one now is called adenosine, which is infused into the patient. It simulates the increase in blood flow to the heart that you would get from exercise. So it's using a drug to simulate the blood flow response to exercise. So now, stress testing and imaging could be opened up to a much broader population, again, including the elderly and, and people who couldn't exercise. So at the moment, there are probably about 3 million such tests done across the United States every year with pharmacologic stress.
0: What percentage of the population would you say is unable to take a regular stress
1: test? At this point across the United States, about 40% of all of the 7 million stress tests are done with pharmacologic stress. So it's, it's very widely used in hospitals and in physicians' offices.
0: And there's no other way to get this kind of information in patients who are unable to do an exercise test?
1: The only other way in the past was to do an invasive test, catheterization, coronary angiography. There are also some other, modalities emerging such as cardiac computed tomography or CT angiography and potentially magnetic resonance imaging. But the pharmacologic stress with radionuclide, in other words an isotope perfusion imaging, has been widely done for many years.
0: So you've come up with a new agent or a new way to do this. Tell us a little bit about that and what its advantages might be.
1: The problem with these these tests are, are the side effects that uh, somewhere with adenosine in particular or somewhere north of 80% of patients will have side effects, including chest pain, shortness of breath, flushing, and occasionally heart block. The reason this happens is that we are looking to stimulate adenosine a2A receptors. That's the adenosine receptor that causes the increase in coronary blood flow. On the other hand, giving adenosine stimulates all the adenosine receptor subtypes, and that's the others are the ones that cause the side effects. So the idea behind uh, the new agents are that they are more selective for the adenosine A2A receptor. So theoretically, you should get the same clinical information without the side effects or with many fewer side effects. That was the idea going in. Now, what was the agent you looked at? And tell us a little bit about the
0: trial and how you evaluated it.
1: The agent that I'm presenting data on is called BinoDenison, and it's a it's a highly selective agonist or stimulant of the adenosine A2A receptor. It's one of three that have reached uh, human clinical trials. And we've been working with this for several years in early Phase two studies. In the initial studies, it increased coronary blood flow similar to adenosine seen in cath lab studies. In other initial human studies, finding the dose, we were able to show in a preliminary way that the images were similar and side effects seemed to be reduced. And in the two studies we're presenting here at the ACC, these are the pivotal phase three trials in a total of about 900 patients, where patients who were referred for an adenosine test had both their adenosine test and a similar test with the new agent, Binodenison, so that we could compare the images and see if the side effects were reduced.
0: For those of you who have just joined us, you're listening to Reach MD XM One Fifty Seven, the channel for medical professionals. This is a special report from the American College of Cardiology's annual meeting, ACC Two Thousand Eight. We're coming to you from the ACC press room in Chicago. I'm your host,
1: Paul Rayburn. So, did you see any side effects with this new agent? What happened was that the selectivity for the A two A receptor played out as as we expected. The side effect evaluation was done in a very rigorous way. It was double-blinded. The patient didn't know whether they got adenosine or binadenosone, and the physicians administering the test didn't know. So the patients were asked if they had side effects. They were asked to rate them on a 1 to 10 scale, and they were asked which test they preferred overall. And again, remember, they did not know which was which. So the data showed that the the major side effects, chest pain, shortness of breath, flushing, were reduced by about 50%. And And when they happened... Their intensity was reduced by about 50%. And in the preference question, about in both trials, two separate trials, about 70% of the patients preferred the new agent. Uh, and about 20% preferred adenosine, and 10% had no preference. So very, very consistent data between the two different studies. So
0: on what basis was that? What were they telling you they were feeling or experiencing that made them prefer the new agent?
1: The preference question was just overall, you know, your overall patient experience of this stress test. Did you prefer the first one or the second one? And it's a a way of capturing the overall patient experience. And, you know, as you know, we, the medical profession, are paying a lot more attention these days to the, the patient's overall, experience of our care. So that that was an important question. But but remember, we also specifically had a lot of data on the individual side effects, chest pain, flushing, shortness of breath, etc. Now, what is the status of this drug? Is it approved yet? It is not approved yet. These two studies that are being presented here are the pivotal trials that will be submitted to the FDA by King Pharmaceuticals. Are we, what, what would you say, at least a few years away? Next year, I would guess. But again, that's up to them. And and the FDA, of course, has to carefully review the data. But these the trials hit what the predefined endpoints were, and clearly the side effect profile was much, much improved.
0: Are there other similar
1: agents in the pipeline that'll be coming along? or? There's another agent called Regadenison, which has also so completed trials, and they're somewhere in the FDA process. I don't know exactly where. And there was a third agent called uh, Apadenoson that was being developed and has been slowed down a little bit, I, I understand.
0: Would you expect, based on the data so far, that this would become a widely used drug or or is it too soon to tell yet?
1: Well, I think the data are very, very strong and ultimately uh, the marketplace will speak and to some degree it will depend on pricing. I mean, there's no question in my mind, at least from the trials, that the agent works, the side effects are less, that's that's a winner. You get the same information as you got from the previous agent with less side effects. That's, that's a bit of a no-brainer. But from a day-to-day perspective, uh, people in hospitals and in offices have to really look at the pricing. And if it's priced too high, they may say, well, we'll continue using what we've been using for many years. If it's priced appropriately, I would think everyone would switch the next day. So it's potentially a a change in practice, but the economics will tell us part of the story at least. Clearly, the efficacy is there. The side effects are are less. There's no question about that.
0: Clearly, with some of the new drugs coming out in a variety of areas, the new drug is vastly, you know, thousands of percent
1: more expensive. Is such a thing possible here? You know, I think if, if I was them, I would look at the marketplace very carefully and the, and the reimbursement climate, which is very difficult for physicians and say, you know, and say, do we want the entire market share tomorrow I mean, with a drug that clearly works and has advantages and price it accordingly. The data is complete from these studies. So where do you go next? That's a really good question. There are still some important questions here about this drug in particular groups of patients. So, for instance, adenosine testing is contraindicated in people with asthma because it can make asthma worse by various mechanisms. Now, there were some early data with binodenosine suggesting that it is safe in asthmatics. That would be really helpful for clinicians, and I think we need a little bit more data there. And also, this agent should be extremely useful for different kinds of imaging, for what's called PET imaging, positron emission tomography, another way to measure blood flow, cardiac uh, MRI imaging of blood flow, and so it needs to be looked at in those contexts as well. Are you excited about it? Has it been fun to be a part of this? It's fun to do this. It's fun to present data to your colleagues. And I think the challenge that I personally enjoy is trying to figure out how to show something works within the rigorous environment that you have to do things like this to present to the FDA.
0: That will bring us to a close. You've been listening to a REACH MD special report. Cardiology news from this year's American College of Cardiology Annual Meeting ACC 2008. This is the latest in a series of special reports from ACC 2008 coming to you from the press room at McCormick Place in Chicago. I'm your host, Paul Rayburn. This is ReachMD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. We welcome your questions and comments. Please visit us at ReachMD.com, where you will find a program guide and podcasts of current and previous shows. Thanks so much for listening.